Um, So last week we talked about this idea that friends matter. Friends really matter. Our bottom line last week was that if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. That sociologists have noticed that, that most people will become like their five closest relationships in economic, uh, relational capacity. Uh, just by and large, if you're hanging around with good folks, you're going to become a good folk. <laughs> and the way that Proverbs put this is uh, the wise, uh, that he who, who walks with the wise becomes wise. But a companion of fools suffers harm. So we saw that this was kind of a for better or worse, that it can have a positive impact and we can choose to be a positive impact on the lives of others or it can have a negative impact. And uh, thanks to the internet, I found a couple of funny pictures that really drive that point home. And so I wanted to share those with you. These are times uh, when somebody maybe needs a different set of friends. So like this first one, um, it cracks me up that the sign, that he, the banner that he's hanging says think safety first. This guy needs better friends. Uh, He needs somebody to put the camera down and stop taking a picture and go say, quit, get down, be safe, come on. There's a, there's actually, you could, you could probably reach through from the top and do what you're doing. Um, There's another one, and and I don't even know how to explain this one. Um, I'm sure there was a bet involved. I'm sure there was a dare. Like, you won't fit through there. Oh, I'll bet I do. And I'm not sure what's going to happen from this point. Uh, I, I think butter is probably going to be involved. And somebody's going to have to pull from the top up. Um, but he's got a friend. The friend's trying to help. I hope it's a different friend than he got into that mess with. Here's another one that just blows my mind. Um, yeah, and it strikes me. Maybe some of the women have already picked up on this. All the, men, all the p- people in these pictures are men. So um, be mindful. Be careful. Be thoughtful. Uh, I'm not sure what the guy on the left is doing. I mean, he's there, uh, but I don't think he's going to help much. And uh, I can't imagine how hot it is that, that the guy in the striped shirt would, would go to these lengths to, to get that air conditioner fixed. Um, there's one more, uh, almost a no comment. This isn't going to turn out well. I'm not sure what happens next, but it isn't pretty. Um, something is going to get damaged. But I guarantee you that four-wheeler is not coming out of the back of that truck. It is safely stowed. And one last one, um, which is ironic because you would have to have had a friend to help you load this up, right? And as I looked at it a little closer, it looks like it was originally centered, but the, the really thin string didn't hold the ton of wood and building materials centered so everything is shifting backwards and uh, I don't think this is going to end well either. Hopefully this guy has a friend with a truck that can come and help uh, deal with this. So that's just a fun way to underscore friends really do matter <laughs> for better or worse. You can, friends can get you into a lot of trouble and friends can get you out of a lot of trouble and ideally the right friends keep you out of trouble. So that was last week. If you missed it, you can find it online. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our website and listen to those. This week, we're going to be looking at the idea that words matter, specifically your words, the words that we say to each other, the words that we speak to each other, and the words that we speak to ourselves. In fact, I, I've shared this before, um, that nobody speaks to you more than you do. And sometimes we forget that. 
and the inner dialogue is not always kind. Sociologists and psychologists call it the inner critic. And some of us have a very, very nasty inner critic. And so we need to be thinking about our words and how much our words matter. And as we kind of wade into the pool here, uh, have you ever said something dumb? Nobody. I'm the only one. Okay, I see a few heads nodding. Have you ever said something that wasn't necessarily dumb, but it was a really dumb thing to say? (laughs) You see a few nods. If you've never done that, um, you may not know the difference (laughs) between saying something that's not necessarily dumb, but isn't very smart to say. So we'll be looking at our words. We'll be looking at the impact that our words have on others for better or worse. This one is another one like last week, that our words can have a positive impact that is multiplied over time or a negative impact that is multiplied over time. And to start, I want to start by illustrating one of the key features of our words. And so I need a volunteer. Is there anybody that would like to volunteer to come up on stage and help me illustrate this? I see Corey Day down there. I think you'll be perfect for this. And anybody that knows Corey knows what I'm saying when I say you'll be perfect for this. So what we need to do, and we'll just step right over here. I'm going to hold the cup and you're going to hold the toothpaste. Really? Yes. And I want you to empty the toothpaste into the cup as quickly as you can without getting any on the floor around me, okay? Are you ready? Sure. You guys, somebody got a stopwatch on your cell phone? Let's see how fast we can do this. Keith's got it? Okay. Three, two, one, go. Get it all, get it all, get it all. Cheer, cheer on, cheer on. (laughs) There we go. Keep going. Keep going. A little bit more, a little bit more. Is it all out? Pretty close? Yeah. Oh, there was a lot there. Okay. Time? 15 seconds. Okay. Now, part two is you put it all back in. Hilarious you are. No, come on. Got the clock going? (laughs) Do you want a spoon? No. Okay. I don't think that's going to work. You're going to tap out on this one? I really am. I don't blame you. You did your part. (laughs) You can keep this or I can keep it. Okay. She doesn't want to. Give her a round of applause. She did a wonderful job. Thank you, Corey. So, obviously, the point is that our words are kind of like the toothpaste. Once it leaves the tube, it's really hard to get it back in there. I'm sure it's possible. If you got a syringe and you sucked it out of the cup and squirted it back in, you're gonna, it's going to be a process, though, isn't it? It's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot more than 15 seconds. So the words come out quickly, but they don't go back very quickly. And it can take a long time for the words and the weight of the words we say to come back. And so we need to keep that in mind. And it's not impossible, but it is difficult. And this underscores why this matters so much. It matters in the words that we speak. It matters in the words that we write, letters that maybe we send. Remember back when we used to write letters to each other? Now it's emails, social media, oh my goodness. Think about the number of celebrities that have been nailed to the wall because of something they said or something they tweeted or something they put on their Instagram or their Facebook when they were a teenager, and now it costs them, costs them dearly. Our words matter. They matter a great, great deal. Proverbs 12, 18 will be sort of our key verse today if you want to turn 
to that, you can find it on page 1001 in the Pew Bibles, or if you have a digital Bible, uh, you can get that out, open it up to Proverbs 12:18. This would be a really good verse of Scripture to memorize. And you might just write it out on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror until you got this one down. Um, and, and then move on. Don't stop memorizing Scripture. But this is a great one to memorize. It's Proverbs twelve eighteen. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. This is another for better or worse, like I said, that there's a, there's a negative side to this and a positive side to this one verse and to these words. And so they can either pierce like a sword or they can bring healing. And the question would be, do the majority of your words pierce like a sword? Do you see that on the faces of the people that receive those words? Or do they bring healing? Do they bring life? That's what healing is. It's the restoration of life, the restoration of function. Do they encourage and do they uplift and do they inspire? Or do they pierce like a sword and hurt or harm the people that they're spoken to? I was reminded this week of the THINK test, and maybe you've heard of the THINK test. Uh, it's, it's the acronym THINK, and before you say anything, you should ask yourself, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? And is it kind? And if it doesn't check a couple of those boxes or checks the opposite of some of those boxes, you probably just better keep that to yourself. And that's a really helpful uh, little an acronym that helps you to, to think before you speak. But I also want to talk about this idea of brings healing, that, the, that sometimes we say foolish things and our words pierce like a sword early in our lives or, or pre-Christ maybe or pre-becoming wise and then we become wise and how do we, how do we let our words start to bring healing where maybe they used to bring pain or maybe they used to pierce like a sword and, and there's a little equation you could write down if you're a note taker. It's the equation apology plus repentance equals healing. Apology plus repentance equals healing. And so if you're reliving some words that you have said in the past that have pierced like a sword, and you want your words to bring healing, this is the equation. Apology, a heartfelt apology that begins with, I'm sorry, I. Not, you did this and it made me feel this way and so I did that and yeah, I can see how that was wrong. That's not an apology. I'm sorry, I. And then repentance. And repentance is essentially changed behavior. It's we stop doing it. We don't create a cycle where we pierce like a sword and then we apologize. And we pierce like a sword and then we apologize. That does not bring healing. We apologize. We change our behavior. We repent. And then we start to bring healing. And just like the toothpaste, the healing takes longer than it does to say the words that pierce like a sword. It takes time. But there is the ability for the wise, the words of the wise, to bring healing. And so I want to spend the rest of the time that we have uh, looking at some of the contrast between words that might pierce like a sword and words that might bring healing. 
Because Proverbs has a ton to say about this. And if you're reading a chapter a day and you're a couple weeks into that, you're about halfway through that process, uh, you've read a lot about the words that we say. And it takes it from a number of different angles. And so we're going to pick four of those different angles and sort of contrast what might be a dumb thing to say or a dumb way to say it or dumb things to say with wise, words of the wisdom that will bring healing. So the first one is lying and deceit. Proverbs has a lot to say about using deception or lying to people um, and contrasting that with honesty or authenticity that, that the, wis- the wisdom would say, be honest, be real, be authentic. Don't deceive, don't lie. So Proverbs 15.4 is pretty cut and dry. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. There is a wound inflicted when we deceive or lie to someone. There is a trust that is broken. There is a value in the, on the part of the other person that is diminished when we lie to them. And that crushes the spirit. And over time, I think there's a secondary meaning that when you tell one lie, what do you have to do? Tell another lie, don't you? You got to tell a lie to cover up the first lie. And then if you're not careful, and you can't be too careful, these are, these are slippery slopes, right? You know the problem with slippery slopes? They're slippery, and they're sloped. <laughs> so once you get on them, it's really hard to get off of them. Lies are slippery slopes. And I think the secondary meaning of Proverbs 15.4 is that eventually we're crushed by the weight of the lies we have told. That if we have a deceitful tongue, it is full of deceit, and we lie over and over and over, eventually we are crushed by the weight of the lies that we have told, and our reputation is ruined, and people do not believe us when we tell them the truth. And so we really want to be mindful of this, thoughtful of this. Proverbs twelve nineteen gives us the contrast that truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Truthful lips endure forever. Do you want your lips to endure forever? Some of you ladies have spent a lot of money on those lips, right? You got all kinds of stuff spread all over them. You want your lips to, to endure forever? Do you want the words that you've spoken to endure forever, to bring healing forever, to bring life forever? Toby Mack, a, a famous Christian musician, has created a Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram and everything else called Speak Life. He had a song called Speak Life, and every day they post uh, a scripture or a thought-provoking word, picture, or something that speaks life and challenges us. And I'm always blown away when I see it, and 50,000 people shared it, and hundreds of thousands of people have liked it and commented on it because he's chosen to take his platform and to speak life and much of the life that he has spoken will endure forever. And we can be the same. And so a question as we think about lying and deceit versus honesty and authenticity is, is, is it possible that your lying or your temptation to lie or to be deceitful is a reflection of fear in your heart? What if people knew the truth? Would they accept me? Would they love me? Would I be enough? Would I be okay? Is the deceit and the lying meant to craft an image or to maintain control or rather the illusion of control? What is the motivation behind the lie? What's the motivation behind the behavior? What's welling up within you that causes you to be 
deceitful or to be tempted to be deceitful when you are. Next is slander and insults versus honor and praise. Slander is not a word that we use a lot today, but it means to disparage or to demean or to run somebody down, especially with others or in a public setting. To slander somebody is to make a case against somebody, usually unprovoked. And the contrast to these slanderous insults would be to speak honor or to speak praise or to just keep your mouth shut if you can't, right? Proverbs 10.18 says, He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. And I thought that was a very, very interesting verse. Because the first half almost makes you say, well, then I should not conceal my hatred. I should get it out there, right? But then the second half, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. So, so what do we do with our hatred? We go to the source and we resolve it as best we can. Remember Paul said, as far as it is possible, live among all your brothers and sisters with peace. Live at peace with them. Sometimes that's not possible and then we create separation as much as we can. But we don't slander others. We don't, we don't spread negative uh, things about other people. In fact, this is so important that Paul includes slander on most of his sin lists in the New Testament. As you read through the New Testament letters, you'll see that, that slander is on the lists of sin that Paul includes, right along with things like sexual immorality and anger and lust and, and on down the ones that we would maybe rank as higher sins. Paul includes slander in there. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, even takes slander, you know, calling somebody a fool or publicly declaring somebody a fool with murder. Like, this is a big deal. This, we live in a culture where people slander each other as a profession. And the people on this station slander the people on this station at 4 o'clock. And then at 5 o'clock, this station slanders the people on this station. And they go back and forth all day long. And if we're not careful, we just become desensitized to it. And we think, well, that's natural. That's normal. If you don't like somebody, slander them. And they have no, that has no place in the life of a Christian. I saw, uh, <laughs> I saw one of those little images on, on the screen on Facebook. And it, it said, sheep is such a unique or such an interesting insult for Christians to use towards each other because some Christians are calling other Christians sheep right now. Oh, you're just a bunch of sheep. And then it says, and yet insults are interesting things for Christians to be using with each other. There's no place for insulting each other in the public sphere. There's no place for that. It's, it's slander. It's, it's spreading that puts you in the list of those who are fools. And Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And sometimes the most honorable thing that you can do for another person is to keep your mouth shut. And we would be wise to remember what we learned in elementary school. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Sometimes this is harder than others. But we're told that the wise don't play the slander game. And slander doesn't speak healing into the life of another. And so a question might be, 
Is your tearing down of others a reflection of how you truly feel about yourself? Sometimes we are most aware of the things in others, the negative characteristics in others that we deal with ourselves, that we wrestle with ourselves. And so if I point it out in that person, maybe they won't notice it in me. And that's one of the motivations for slander. Or maybe harsh words are a reflection of the anger that's in your heart. Paul says multiple times, get anger out. And it's got deep roots. And it might take some time and it might take some help. It might take some professional help to root out the anger that is behind the slander that we either are speaking or are tempted to speak. The next one is gossip or recklessness with our language and our words. Gossip being contrasted by discretion or just plain old self-control or maybe tact. Have you ever heard the definition of tact, that it's making a point without making an enemy? Sometimes there's a way to do both. You can make the point without making the enemy. We don't see a lot of that in the public sphere today. It seems like we want an enemy to go with the point. But the wise figure out a way to not gossip, to not spread unnecessary details, to not talk about people when they're not present, and to never say something about someone that we wouldn't say if they were present, and to not talk about others if, as, as we wouldn't want them to talk about us. So Proverbs 11.13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man or woman keeps a secret. A gossip betrays a confidence uh, that... that Message is so important that it's repeated verbatim in Proverbs 20:19. A gossip betrays a confidence, and now the advice is given, so avoid anyone who talks too much. And this is really, really wise advice. This is what makes Proverbs the greatest collection of wisdom. Because if a gossip will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. That's why Proverbs 20.19 says, avoid someone who talks too much. If they're gossiping to you, they're gossiping about you with other people. And we all know somebody, you've had that sinking feeling and you're just like, oh, gossiping. Do I say something? Because usually if you say something, you're next. Would you believe that Pastor Mark is so self-righteous? He's talking about gossip, and I don't gossip. I don't ever gossip. I don't ever want to gossip. I don't, you ever see me gossiping, you let me know. I can't believe he said, and you know, on and on and on and on. And so if you say something to a gossip, you're next. But I would encourage you to walk right into that and say, that sounds like gossip. I don't want anything to do with it. Please don't talk about me that way with others. And leave it at that. And leave it in God's hands. But at least you're not participating. In it. And then you can follow the second half there in 19. Avoid anyone who talks too much. The, the contrast there is self-control. A trustworthy man or woman keeps a secret in Proverbs eleven thirteen. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or woman who lacks self-control. So many people have the walls of their city broken down by gossip, by a lack of self-control and the inability to keep their mouth shut sometimes. And they've just got to pass the next juicy bit on to somebody else. And it's destructive. And it erodes community and the feeling of family. And so the question would be, is your gossip a reflection of the insecurity in your own heart? We'll talk about everybody else so we don't have to talk about me. Is that's what's motivating it? Is there some insecurity that if I can maybe cast a little shade 
on somebody else or bring somebody else into question, that'll elevate me somehow. And it almost never is the case, especially with people who, who are wise to the gossip game. But the wise, you know, gossip can pierce like a sword. And it's a wound that you don't know if it's happening sometimes. I've learned to accept it as a pastor. People are gossiping about the pastor sometimes. I have to, I have to, it goes with the game. It goes with the territory. And maybe it goes with your territory. But you don't have to participate in it. You don't have to play the gossip game. Lastly, crude speech, unwholesome talk. That this really doesn't have any place coming out of the mouth of a believer in Jesus Christ. It's contrasted by speaking blessing or speaking life or being encouraging. Proverbs 18.7 says, A fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. You don't want that to describe you. You don't want your mouth to be your undoing. You don't want your lips to be a snare to your soul. Rather, you would probably want Proverbs 10, 11 to describe you. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of a wicked. Do you want violence to overwhelm your mouth? Do you want uh, your mouth to be your undoing or your lips to be a snare to your soul? Or would you like the mouth of the righteous to be a fountain of life? Would you like your mouth to be a fountain of life, to speak healing, to speak life into people, to speak encouragement and inspiration and to be helpful and to be kind? Ephesians 4.29 would probably be the most uh, familiar New Testament passage on this where Paul says very, very clearly, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, one translation says that it may be grace to those who listen, that it may be a representation of God's unmerited favor to those who receive the words that you say. And so the question here would be, is your crude language a reflection of a longing in your heart to make people laugh or to finally feel accepted or to blend in with the crowd. I know that was the case for me. In middle school, in high school, in the employer that I worked for in college, I had a lot of crude speech. And I shudder to think of some of the things that came out of my mouth when I was in those environments. And I've repented from that, and I've sought to remove that from my vocabulary as much as possible. But at the time, I just wanted to blend in. I just wanted to make people laugh. I just wanted to feel accepted, and I thought that would make me accepted. And so I want to encourage you to take some time and evaluate your words. Evaluate the impact of your words. Are they speaking life, or are they piercing like a sword? Are they usually negative, or usually positive, or you go like this, or like me? Does it matter where you are? Does, do you kind of blend in with this crowd and then blend in with this crowd? I know I spoke differently 8 to 5 Monday through Friday than I did on the weekends and some of the evenings. And so we want to have integrity. We want to be the wise walk with integrity. They are into, integrity really means oneness. You're the same person on Sunday morning in church, as you are at home, as you are in the workplace, as you are at the bowling league, as you are at the softball game, as you are, as you are, as you are. One person, one mark shows up, not three or four different marks. Because our bottom line today is the wise watch their words. 
The wise watch their words. They pay attention to them. And I, I struggle to, you know, the wise weigh their words. Do we weigh our words? Do we actually consider the impact of those words before we say them? I remember somewhere along the line, somebody said, you know, you ought to say everything twice in your head before you say it once out loud. And that's been good advice. And when I've followed it, it's gone pretty well for me. And there have been a number of times, whether it was in my marriage or in, in a leadership situation or in the workplace, where I said it twice in my head and I said, I don't want to say that once. How can I say it better? How could I pass it through the think test and maybe come out with a better way of saying that? The wise wield their words. They, they, they are intentional with their words. They're not reckless with their words because reckless words pierce like a sword. And so think back over those questions. And before we move on, before we wrap things up, I want to give one final word on how much our words matter. Because here is what Jesus had to say about our words. And he had a lot to say about our words, but none clearer than Luke six forty-five, where Jesus says, Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I put it in red for a reason, because these are red letter words. For better or worse, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth will speak. And so what's in here comes out here. And he's kind of merging two Proverbs together when he makes that statement, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Be careful what gets into your heart, because it's the wellspring of life. And Proverbs 10.11, which we already looked at, says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. And each question I asked on the four areas, the four contrasts, was a heart question because the words are merely the symptom of what's going on inside. And to illustrate that, I want to share with you one more sort of object lesson. Um, it's called the, the lesson or the illustration or uh, the lesson of the Coke bottle, right? Everybody knows Coke. Everybody likes Coke, right? Anybody who doesn't like Coke? And you know you're not supposed to shake it, right? But every now and then our world gets shaken, doesn't it? Somebody bumps into us, or 2020 comes along and we drop the whole thing and it bounces twice because 2020 has been nuts, hasn't it? And you know what happens when your world gets shaken and then somebody twists a little bit, right? It's a mess, isn't it? Is there any way to stop the mess? Keep the lid on. But that doesn't always work, does it? And what's inside comes out. The reason that there's Coke in here now is because Coke was on the inside. And the Coke is carbonated, so the Coke is explosive. And if I drop this a couple more times and shake it up a couple more times and open it again, more Coke will come out, right? Because Coke's what's inside, and Coke is explosive. So what's the solution? We can't just keep the lid on. It's got to come up every now and then. It's going to come up every now and then. The solution, I believe, is to get rid of the coke. Get rid of what's explosive. Get rid of what is dark and nasty. Forget for a moment that the coke is sweet, okay, and delicious, and we like to drink it ice cold with peanuts. It's ugly and brown right now, and if it got all over my Bible, that would be a mess, right? And it's sticky, so it lasts for a while, kind of like our words, right? Right? 
So the solution is to empty the Coke out, preferably every morning, and to fill it with the living water of God's Word. Notice there's plenty more water than I can take in. And an interesting thing happens when we do this. Now, what's inside is beautiful and clear, and if it gets shaken up or even dropped like 2020, it doesn't blow up, does it? And when it comes across somebody that it needs to speak to, it doesn't spew all over them and cover them with a sticky mess. We got a little bit of living water to give to somebody else. Maybe somebody in our discipleship group. Maybe somebody in church on Sunday morning. Maybe somebody at work that's blowing up all over the place. And we can come along with some living water and we can share that with them. And then tomorrow morning, you get the word of God out, you spend some time in prayer, you refill. Because the Coke will find its way back in. The explosive stuff, the nasty stuff, the gross stuff, it'll find its way back in. So we got to refill every morning. we got to refill every day with the pure, holy, living water of God's Word. And then we'll have something good to share with others. When our world gets shaken up, it won't explode all over the place and make a mess. Instead, we'll have something to contribute that's positive and encouraging to others. And I hope that 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 lesson of the Coke bottle sticks with you and helps you to remember the weight of our words and helps you to think about and consider what happens when our world gets shaken. What happens when your world gets shaken? What comes out when you get bumped? What comes out? And how does it come out? Does it blow up all over the place and make a mess? Because the bottom line is that the, the wise watch their words. And if we think about what Jesus had to say about our words, the reality is the wise don't just watch the words that come out. The wise pay attention to the heart that those words flow out of. The wise watch their hearts. And so, if you don't like what comes out, there's a number of things that you can do about that. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's a good place to start. To experience that cleansing, to experience that washing. Jesus said, if if anyone comes to me and takes me into them, then springs of living water will well up within them. And that we walk around with like a spring of living water inside our Coke bottle and it just drips spills living water all over the place, all over the people that we encounter. And so if you've never began a relationship with Jesus Christ or you're watching this and you don't know what that means, raise your hand. Like, let me know. Reach out to me. Comment on the Facebook. If, if you're here and you don't know what that means, come and see me. I'd love to explain it to you. God's desire is that there would be springs of living water within us so that we would always have living water to give to somebody else. And the world is in desperate need of living water. Maybe you've been sitting here and you've been thinking about reckless words that you've spoken. And I want to remind you of that equation, that an apology plus repentance plus changed behavior 
can bring healing over time. Maybe you've already repented. Maybe you've already changed the behavior and you've got a good track record now, but there's words that you spoke that still ring in your ears and you know they ring in the ears of the person you said them to. Make the apology. Reach out. Make amends. Look them in the eye. I'm sorry that I. And be specific. And healing will flow from that. Healing will flow within you and out from you. And maybe the Coke bottle illustration really hit home and you're like, man, when I get bumped, what comes out isn't good. Dump it out. Fill it up with the living water of God's word every day. We've got a resource that we use here called the Banding Together Journal. It's got a reading plan. You read a chapter, maybe two, every day. You meet in a group with people who are reading the same scriptures. You share and compare notes of what God is saying to you through that. It's powerful. It's amazing to sit around the table with a group of guys and to hear what God, what they saw, what the Holy Spirit said to them and to compare that with what I saw. And it, there's living water. Even from Leviticus, like my group's reading Leviticus. We just finished Leviticus. And I got more out of Leviticus than I have ever gotten out of Leviticus before because I read it every day and I prayed before I read it, God, show me what you want me to see in this. And then I journaled about it and it was powerful. And I see smiles and I know most of the smiles are in groups and they're doing this and they're nodding because they know what I'm talking about. So I want to encourage you, whether it's Proverbs, whether it's a gospel, whether it's banding together, spend time in God's word every day because you want to put God's word into your hearts so that that's what comes out when we get bumped. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of your word, for the revelation that your first act of love was to reveal yourself to us, to reveal your will to us, to let us know that you exist and that you love us and you're crazy about us. So I pray for every person in the sound of my voice that you would help them to know that you love them and that you desire to be a spring of living water inside them and that their words would speak life, would bring life, would, would encourage and inspire and point people to you. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray.